In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Hi, I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. Welcome. So. Indeed. <laughs> We're talking today on a uh, much brighter and earlier time of day than normal. Feels a little bit, uh, well, oddly hot for the time of year. Oh, uh, we've yeah. been uh, running around working like crazy, trying to uh, uh, work on marketing and, and getting the word out for Bright Star and the E6 universe, the Energemetrist 6 topic, but uh, back to more uh, real things and, and talking about, uh, oh gosh, just, I, I, we don't really like to talk about current events exactly, but I love to take the current event and provide a um, uh, an example that is um, an, uh, an eternal example, an example of something that happens eternally. So, oh, sure, sure. Right, so... Oh, one of the things that I've noticed here in current events, I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, um, the, uh, oh gosh, is it just the Daily Wire crew? It's the Ben Shapiro, the Andrew Clave, and uh, Jeremy Boring, right? the, the groups that are out there. Um, and I've been watching some of the stuff that they've been doing here uh, in recent events. Have you been paying attention to much of the, uh, the news or have you been turning away from it completely just because it's so wild? Well, because I've been doing this marketing stuff for Bright Star, I wind up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of the other places that you end up on. And um, so I've seen plenty of the stuff about what's going on at the Daily Wire. And, I see. you know, I, I, I gotta be honest, I kind of get sick of it because the things that they fight about they're always fighting on a layer that doesn't really make sense. So for example, the thing between Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro, mm. um, really what they're fighting about at some level is two different things. As far as I can tell, number one, Candace Owens, isn't really a conservative. She's, she's not an evil person. Exactly. As I understand it, she's a Christian but she's not a conservative. She's something else. And I've been, I've been listening to Candace Owens since she was red pill black, which was like, I don't know how many years ago now, long before. And for people Wire. that don't know what that means, what is red pill black? I may even have a different uh, opinion on what that means than you. Do. Okay. So that's what she called herself at the time. That was the, the sort of the persona she was assuming. And when right, that right, happened, what is that? Well, what when that, that happened, because... it didn't mean what it does today. I was going to say, yeah. No, it was it was before that. It was like red pill was a much more general term than it is today. It was like she was sort use, of being awake. Yeah, and she wouldn't use that term today because it's associated with a movement that has people like um, Pearl Davis in. Well, so 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, the topic uh, as well uh, crossed my, my um, perception, if you will, um, and it, it made me think of deep fakes. Um, well, hang on. Can we, I back up just a second and finish what I was saying? Oh, sure. So with Candace, she's not exactly a conservative, meaning her underpinnings might be at some level sensible, and they're certainly not left-wing anymore. But she is not a philosophically conservative human being the way Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles and Jeremy Boring and some of the other people are. She doesn't have those philosophical underpinnings to her beliefs. She'd never studied that stuff. So when she comes out with things, she doesn't have some of the same background they do. And then Ben Shapiro is not a regenerated Christian, which means when he when he takes a perspective on something, his perspective is not going to be as affected by the Holy Spirit as somebody who's a Christian. So the whole conflict there between them is is she's taking the side of, say, Palestine, right? No. Well, she's, what is, what is it then? She's saying that nobody should be genocided was the last I heard of what she actually said. Something along those lines, for sure. And that certainly boils down to... Um the dogma and the problem with assigning your ideas to someone else. If you say you're a Christian and I say I'm a Christian and Candace Owens says that she's a Christian and I don't know, I'm, I'm having trouble picking up somebody that did terrible things, but people can say whatever they want. And that if they say that they think those things and you say that you think something on, again, that becomes a dogma or a slogan and you can't dig in and say, what are the foundations of that word to you? Uh -huh. And so, when you've got um, a position that is um, um, dogmatic, or, or I don't exactly know how to uh, 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 frame it exactly, but I'm picturing Ben Shapiro in the in the men, in the mental image of someone who's made up his mind. Yeah. And so, if you say Hamas, if you say uh, Palestine, if you say Muslim, if you say Islam, he has something he's going to assign to that. So if you are not careful to understand who you're talking to when you speak the word, you might flag uh, memories or, or uh, foundations in their definitions that you don't even know. Sure. So that's why we always do scream about not being too dogmatic. But where he's saying she just doesn't understand the word, she's saying it's not about the word, it's about what's happening to people. What are you tapping on? Just the desk next to the mic. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and, you know, what would I say? I think it's really easy to get caught up in the whole sloganeering thing when you get to stuff like this. And this is where I actually get real, real um, cautious, because when you see two really strong sides forming on something, it's a good indication that the enemy is taking each of those sides for his dialectic and using it to push an issue somewhere. And I think that's actually going on with this Israel-Palestine thing and that Ben Shapiro got caught on one side and Candace Owens got caught on the other. And it really, it, the even, enemy's using the issue. If that's even issue. the case. If that's even the case. If the, uh, if the group... Um, were to work uh, in hand in hand towards the same goal, 
on opposite sides, they're still working hand in hand. Um, if there wasn't enough discussion in the moment on the topic, you could have an argument to bring up the topic again. And you could work not aiming straight for your goal in order to get to your goal. So I'm not suggesting that the bench Barrow and, and Candace Owens are working in, in opposition. They're working to bring up the topic again or to okay. no, be in the news you haven't, on the topic. You haven't heard the latest on this then. Ben Shapiro straight up told Candace Owens on Twitter that if she didn't like working for the Daily Wire, if she thought that was getting between her and God, she could quit. She also went on Tucker Carlson and said that that was she had no problems whatsoever with the company. Right. Right. So the, the difference between front facing um, advertisement and true feelings are wildly different. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen them uh, truly get along and, and shake hands and hug and, and be friendly, but I also have That's seen true. them work like soldiers together uh, at, at a cause. Yeah. Um, well, and it'd and, be the same for me with Ben Shapiro in a lot of ways. You know, I he and I are too similar. It'd be like it'd be kind of like oil and water. So <laughs> there would certainly be a. Uh, a long conversation every time any topic were brought up. <laughs> right. Well, and, and Ben doesn't see things as deeply and isn't willing to look at things at the same level that I do. And that's nothing against Ben. He's He has grown up in the political arena, which means that's how he tends to think about things. The way his worldview examines other things, he just shuts them out. It's like when you look at what happened on 9-11... There was there was hinky crap going on, and he just won't admit to any of it. I don't know what was going on, but there was weird stuff going on, and you have to admit the truth that there was weird stuff going on before you can be taken seriously at a certain level, and he doesn't. So, well, in trying to assume that your side is right or justified in any of its action, it really does turn you away. Uh, we see it right now in the quote-unquote sciences, which I'd love to take two seconds to talk about that. Yeah. But uh, the sciences have moved away from the process, the scientific process of assuming you're wrong, setting a hypothesis, checking the hypothesis, and then proving or disproving your thought. If you won't accept all of the information that's out there to, to be tested, then how are you even going to test it, right? So that that's where um, something like Ben Shapiro and the 9-11 topic is a problem is if you won't even look at all of the details you won't check to see if the details are true then how are you going to get to a truth and then you move forward assuming a falsehood is a, a foundation of truth right and moving forward on falsehood you end up as a stack is that i tried to make the, the horizontal line with the vector coming off of it they call um uh, I, i'm picturing like multiple timelines from from the 80s sci-fi kind of thing does that make sense where you've got a, a horizontal yeah. line that's the current timeline and a but they cur currently call that a stack with programming where you well, can okay have so idea. with with programming it's you build this as, is the base uh, operating system you're running then you use this to run your um what would it be your web stuff and then you run this as a so yeah it's a stack of programs they call it a stack and a stack is a good way to describe a set of things that layer on top of each other for a worldview, and, if that's where you're going. Right. So if you've got an, uh, an, an inappropriately chosen and incorrectly chosen uh, program in your system, then it's going to provide uh, 
both the search their Overton window is not going to be uh, placed appropriately as well as everything else. All yeah. of your calculations will be off. And if you get to that point where you justify it as necessary, then you get to where we are right now, where you must wear masks. You must Greg, shut down the country. Yeah. Stop tapping. Oh, <laughs> thank you. So um, my concept with the deep fake, um, we have, how to put this, the, the greatest thing the devil ever did was convince people he didn't exist, right? If you un, uh, assume that a deep fake is uh, only available through a computer, only available uh, via uh, image uh, falsehood or, or audio falsehood, and not a deep fake due to people shaking hands and deciding to do whatever they have to do to get to the end goal that they think that they, they need to get to, that's still a deep fake. I mean, it's still a intentional... Um, well, I guess well, conspiracy. It's, a, it's a deception. It's a, it's a conspiracy that's a deception. But you calling it a deep fake is you're you're changing the definition of something. A deep deep fake is specifically the mimicking of a person. It was not considered a deep fake if we did not go to the moon. If all of those images and whatnot were uh, artificially created, no, that, that wouldn't would be, be a deep fake. That would be that would be a huge deception. It would be a conspiracy, but it wouldn't be a deep fake. A deep fake is very specifically a video or audio of someone that tries to mimic them and pretends to be somebody it's not. That's what a deep fake is. Now I could see you pulling the deep fake thing to a different layer, but you can't well, make, you can't generalize the, it. Well, and I think that, um, trying to too steadfastly define a concept by a single word and saying this word only means this thing that's where you get into your dogmas right if you can't okay here we've allegory... got a disagreement because i think that the the precise use of language is simply making human communication work work it's not being dogmatic being dogmatic is holding an opinion so strongly you're not willing to change it not not being squishy on a definition okay okay um i guess where my my head beats up against that is um bringing in language and tower bubble um if someone were to say <clears throat> oh i don't the lord's prayer in arabic it would sound wild to us. It would sound completely not uh, the same words that we're saying. And they didn't the same concepts, but it's just another language. If you heard it in... Right, I, uh, I get that. And, and, and that's fine. What I'm saying is, if I use... Okay, let's pick a word. If I use the word queer today, it means something very different than what it meant a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, the word queer just meant strange and odd and some maybe somewhat off-putting. Today, well, it means something very different. There and, were also queer screws, which were just re reverse spin. And right. So that just... and, and, and so it today, it the definition of the word has changed to mean something completely different. And where you see that is the enemy uses changing language to damage people's understanding by making things that aren't acceptable become acceptable. And to me, it's important that we be careful not to do that ourselves so that we're not, that we're not trying to deceive people by using language in a way that they don't understand. We need to try to use language that 
that people understand in ways they understand it. So when I use a word, I, there are occasions where, well, the word apocrypha is a great example of one that I have taken in a sense that most people don't understand it. Most people understand the word apocrypha to mean a writing that is sort of forbidden or sketchy, not, not exactly trustworthy, where really what the word apocrypha meant was writings that were of similar import to, but not rising to the level of the scriptures, meaning they were important, but they didn't rise to the level of the scripture. And that's the sense I choose to take it in. But that's an older definition, I guess. Sure. And it certainly does um, require that you take a little bit of extra time with new people and ask, you know, what, what does that word mean to you? You know, what is, what is the image in your head of the, the scene that you're playing out, right? What's the scene? What's right. the angle? What's, right. I mean, well, and not... when you and I talk, we've had a relationship for long enough that, that you, you'll use words and I'll go, I know that's shorthand for this. Sure. Sure. Um, often. Uh, and that um, symbolic language is the entire way that human beings formulate communications. It's impossible for me to describe to you right. the entire history of... Right, which is, why, which is why I have an issue with you saying that dogmatism in language is a problem. I actually think that using precise definitions for your words, using words that mean a certain thing the way that they're intended to be used is actually a good thing. So in recent news, um, uh, the Blaze Channel uh, posted something about uh, uh, the Muslim faith. And what is what screams to me to be cautious is if someone <clears throat> if someone comes to you and they say that I personally feel these things, I want to cut someone's head off, then they obviously have a problem. But if someone says, I, I hold to this religion, and then that's the only words they said, that does not mean that you can act like the way the Islamists have acted and have some student drag a teacher out of a classroom in France and cut his head off in the street because he didn't listen or take the time to, to listen to the definitions of the words being used. He was just listening to the flat words and applying his own definitions to the people saying them. And that's the same thing that the place has done in this situation. It's the same thing that Ben Shapiro is doing in this situation. He's assigning his own definitions of words to other people. I don't know that that's the case with Ben Shapiro. I haven't caught any of that. Okay. I understand okay. what you're saying, and, and you're right that we need to try to understand people and what they mean rather than what they're saying. I mean, if, well, if, I, didn't, if I didn't agree with that, you and I wouldn't have been able to talk, man, because... 1,000%. But I guess the point being is that we hear the statements say they're saying what they mean, believe them. Right? We hear that all the time from the news. They're saying what they mean, believe them. Who's talking? How many people are with them? You, just because an American said something doesn't mean all Americans said that. And right. I don't think that would be true for any country. No, and that's true. In, so that becomes the, uh, the, the thing I'm fighting, mm -hmm. being that, being that being just because... Refusing to understand people's meaning and taking their word and, and starting a crusade based on the word instead of understanding what they mean. And I, I understand that. I get that. But I don't think that's what's going on with Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens. Interesting. Do you think it made it... Uh, 
just generally be a, well, I don't want to speak about what they may or may not be doing. Here's what I understand to be the case. Candace Owens actually said on Twitter, no one should be genocided. And the only, the only group that is currently using that language, using that phraseology is the pro-Palestine group. And they're using it to protest what the it is. That is that is what's going on. And they're using it to protest what the Israelis are claiming to do in or saying they're going to do in Gaza. And let me ask you this. Yeah. Are all conservatives um, Christians? Are all not. conservatives white supremacists? Of course not. Are all are all Democrats pedophiles? Right. I don't know. Well, <laughs> okay no they're not they're <laughs> right, not right and so that's the point it's it's the 100 percent of people the even the word hamas that's not in english i can't if someone were to say government and then Greg? use that use that word um in another language and say i think i know where you're going with this 100% you know where I'm going with this. Just because Ben Shapiro and some people say that all of those people say that Hamas is a terrorist group doesn't mean that some five-year-old says that I'm Hamas and he right. doesn't just mean that I, I want good get things for my that, family. okay? I get that. But, but you have to understand what's actually going on there isn't just... We can't speak of it without actually recognizing what I was talking about with the dialectic, Okay. And so what, what's happened is Ben Shapiro has taken the side of the Zionist, nationalist, Israeli uh, perspective of Hamas is evil. And there is some portion, some measure of value in what they're saying in that all of the people in Gaza are subjected to essentially the same little culture that puts them the majority of them under a heading of it is really hard to do anything with these people. Even the Egyptians don't want them because they are so screwed up culturally by the little echo chamber they're in. Okay. Gaza has a border with Egypt. Egypt won't let them in. The, the president of Egypt said in the past month that they would expend millions of lives to defend that border because they didn't want any of the Gaza refugees in Egypt. And it's a big part of that is because, and I've read some articles about this, that it hasn't historically been entirely true. The reason it's true now is because the, the people in Gaza are such social basket cases because of the situation they've been in. Okay, some of that is Israel's fault. I'm not making excuses for anybody, but but, but that's the fact also is, a political statement, not a religious statement. Well, it's also a it's just a statement of the facts on the ground, right? That they're sure, messed sure, up. That, Go ahead. Right. That that is that is a reflection on an Israeli government, not an Israel, not a reflection right. On yes. The yes, you're right. It's a political. That is a political statement. You're right. Absolutely. Right. So so then then the other side of that dialectic that's the one side the other side of that dialectic is that the palestinian people the people who are in gaza don't all deserve to be killed because of the actions of a few militant people when the reality is 
neither side is actually dealing with the truth, which is what you're wanting to deal with. You want to talk about the fact that human beings who don't have any choice about where they are live in Gaza and they're being killed and they're being harmed and there's nothing that I they can do have, about it. I'm going to be extremely forward and rude. I'm going to be extremely forward and rude. I don't actually have much of an opinion on anybody over the age of 12 over there. You're 12 or above and you're completely brainwashed. I'm sorry, not my problem. You're sure. two years old, you're, you're zero to, to 10 or whatever. You don't have any programming. Burn the books, well, not the babies. Well, actually, that, some that, of them do yeah. have programming that young, but your point is still well taken, that there are mm -hmm. unprogrammed people or actually innocent people over there who are being hurt. That is true. And and that small distinguishment, I believe, is where Candace is trying to land, right? She's trying to say, if you're too young to have been brainwashed, then why kill you? She's well, pregnant. And, and, She's nine months pregnant. She's obviously got a very uh, baby-centric mind at the moment. Right. Well, and, and in that sense, I think she's probably right. But here's what she hasn't... Here's what she hasn't recognized and dealt with in an adult fashion. And that is this dialectic issue that we have where there are two sides, okay? The language she was using was the language of the other side. It was the language of the people who who are basically the enemy's tools being used to attack Israel. So can you have an opinion like that that is exactly what you say, that distinguishes things and wants to be merciful to people who or or just just for people who are in the wrong place who aren't I actually agree with Ben Shapiro on, on that side of things. The best possible thing you can do is tell them the truth. If you continue down this path, we will kill every single one of you. If you change your ways, then we won't. And lying to people is going to not let them change. That's so right. It, it is the worst possible thing to, to give mercy in a time of impending change. That's well, unfortunate. And, and the whole thing, the whole thing just stinks to high heaven. And without the exact conversation that you and I just had, the one where we acknowledge all of the factors going into this and say, yes, there are people over there who are, who shouldn't be killed, but because of how, how messed up that little echo chamber is, it's going to be really hard to figure out who you can't you can't really have a useful opinion without having that conversation, right? Right. And I and, and what I'm saying here about Candace and Ben is that that if I were in Candace's shoes, I would have I would have talked to Ben privately and tried to tried to hammer out some kind of because he is so strongly on that side of the issue and because he is not a Christian, because he he is not a regenerated human being, he, there's there's a place where he's going to start being blind. He's not going to be able to see what's going on. That's just how it is. So if I were her, I would have tried to hammer out some kind of, some kind of, you know, common ground, some kind of understanding of where we're at so that they're not attacking each other before she went and did what she did. But they're public people and they're used to this. And in some sense, the publicity this is getting them is actually in their favor because it's it's drawing people's eyes to the Daily Wire, which gets them viewership. And so in a sense, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I just, I kind of look at the whole thing and I go, oh boy. And then I see lots of people who I like on Twitter 
you know, they, they barely know I exist, but I like them. And they're pretending that, you know, they, they've fallen really hard, usually on Ben Shapiro's side of this. They're, they are militantly against Candace Owens and they, they act well, like I'm she's... militantly against Candace. I'm militantly against Candace Owens, Owens because of her personality and her, oh, not just speaking on the, on the mic, but scratching people's eyes out to get the mic in her hands. Well, and I, and uh, I, I, you know, I agree with you that, that, that it's, it's, re, it, it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me too, man. But, but the fact is, <laughs> but the fact is that they actually are coming to a place where they kind of hate her. And I'm like, Oh, and that's exactly when I pass through, that's exactly whenever I pass through a, a transition there. When I hate someone, cause I've gotten there, I've hated Candace Owens. And when I get there, then I look inwardly, and I try to find out why, what is the core reason? And, and the uh, self-seeking publicity is not very core to my um, idea of good. And that's probably sure. where, where I feel like I've got a lot of issues with her. Well, but, and, and the reality is, you know, she's kind of a baby Christian. It isn't like this is, she hasn't been there for a long, long time. And so there are places where you look at that and it's going to just grate on you. But at the exact same time, even through all of that, I have to admit to myself, given all of the options in the world, if I needed to leave my children somewhere safe, she would not be on the bottom of the list. Oh, no, certainly not. Neither would Ben Shapiro. Either one of them would be quite high on the list because... Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fact that we're disagreeing means we're listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And and goodness knows there's plenty of places where that's not happening. Anyway, I kind of interrupted your whole flow with the whole um, deep fake thing. Where well, were sure, you actually yeah. going with that? Because I want to hear where you just where you just ended. Actually, um, was that the idea that they are getting um, uh, exposure just by having the argument? Um, the the idea that they do agree in, behind the scenes off of Twitter, they've had a phone call and said, Hey, you're cool. I'm not actually making you mad. You're not, you know, our kids are still good to go to, you know, to meet up and hang out. Right. Right. In the same way that Republicans and Democrats always butted heads on camera, but then attended parties together, it is untenable uh, for me to uh, think that they are not still completely friends. Uh, she's gone on to, I believe Tucker Carlson and said that she's got no intention of uh, bad mouthing daily wire or the management there. It's a, a single perspective versus a single perspective. And as a news organization, they should have different perspectives, right? And, and, and present all the perspectives. And that's a positive for the company. They've done everything they can to both create a scene and control the scene. Okay. So it might be useful to, it might be useful to consider a deep fake as somebody else's conspiracy flung at you, right? From the outside, as opposed to the old fashioned conspiracy being, um, uh, a perspective, a, a false perception presented from the inside for your own purposes. I still so think a deep fake are... is specifically defined as a video or audio uh, of someone that is not actually them that was cr created. That's all it are is. You familiar with the old, are you familiar with the old movie called Dave? It was a movie about a, a gentleman that uh, came to replace a Biden-esque character. It was a president that died due to his uh, poor health care and, uh, you know, just poorly taking care of himself. And they brought a regular American in that looked just like him. So it was a body double sort of movie. No. 
Okay. Okay. The idea was that every Amer every American would run the country better than any politician. Um, yeah. Uh, but that I to me would would flow as a deep fake because it would be the idea of using a body double to to present somebody that was not actually there. No. So does that's a deep fake have to come fake. from a digital? A deep fake is though... a a deep fake is something that is intended to look like the person that it that it's faking that would mm -hmm. it essentially that it was done um oh usually the connotation is that it's done by third parties not that it's done by that person's uh that person's it, own it, camp does or, it in, uh yeah, does it uh, assume or, or suggest that um, it is for nefarious means if you were to make um, a Mad Max copy of yourself and just make commercials that were making a commercial for your business, then that's not a deep fake. Even though you're not there, um, you're still presenting the information you intended to present, so it's not a deep fake? Yes. I see. I see. That is an interesting um, definition. I'm trying to uh, get to the to the, um, I guess, grokking. I'm not, that's not a word I'm used to, but get to the, the, the public social understanding, the public social understanding. You're, you're of, using, you're using Twitter's AI. No, I'm, I'm, just a word I'm totally kidding. I, no. And you're right. The word grok actually comes from a science fiction book. It does it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but I actually, listened to it as an audiobook many years ago it was it's about a kid who was raised on mars who comes back to earth a human kid who was raised on mars among aliens who comes back to earth and grokking something is to fully understand and encompass it within yourself to the point where you fully get it you've em embodied the knowledge no embodying something is to to become an outward expression of it, to grok it is just to fully understand it. What you do with it after that is your choice. We've talked before about experiential knowledge and uh, book knowledge, you know, yeah. what you've read and what you've experienced. So it, it, whenever it becomes a, um, an integrated uh, uh, idea where we could say something like, um, oh, what would be a... Um, uh, Let's say I don't need I don't know that you need an example. I think just example. saying that it's an integrated idea just gets across what you mean. Sure. So, well, sloganizing. Sloganizing sure. would require an entire book to describe, but we, we just throw it out there. So sure. There's one. Um you wanna call it here? Go for a break? Yeah, I think we should do a quick break. Um I'm gonna refill my coffee, get some hot coffee in my cup. Sure. So we'll be back All here right, in we'll a minute, guys. Thank you. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by the Energemetra 6 universe and by the upcoming book Bright Star by me, Jared Michaud. If you're interested in reading the book, head over to e6universe.com. Uh, I'm still looking for people for the book launch team. In return for posting a few reviews on bookstore sites and sharing on your own social media, you can get a free physical copy of the book and 
uh, read it that way or if you'd like we do have a few copies for sale for pre-sale between now and April of 2024 when the book comes out. Modern Apocrypha is made possible by North Arrow Coffee. It's the pro-life coffee company where 15% of every sale goes to a pro-life cause. And it's so good that even us non-coffee drinkers love the company. Everybody I know who I have uh, given North Arrow Coffee to who is a coffee drinker loves it. So the quality of the product is wonderful and they're not a company that hates you. So if you're interested, head over to northarrowcoffee.co and use the promo code E6 for 10% off with your order. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So. Oh, so looking at this, um, I guess trying to figure out a way to describe it. Um, we run military operations as a uh, red versus blue, but they're all the same military. They're all the same team, but they're operating in opposition uh, for testing or whatever it may be, but they're still the same team. Sure. Um, in that red versus blue, there's still, I don't know, we'll, we'll just use uh, common terms of uh, American, right? So they're red Americans, they're blue Americans, right? Um, we got uh, Candace Daily Wire and, and Ben Daily Wire, but really we've got Candace for God and we've got Ben for God and we've got us for God, right? So even though we all may... Um, but Ben's not for God. That's... I don't think he has choice. Okay, well, my point is, <laughs> my point is that that when I say Ben is not a regenerated Christian, that basically says to me that, like I say, there are things he's just not going to understand. He's not fully on the same team. Not fully. I'd say he's a friend too. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do use the, the concept of a, a Judeo-Christian society. I, I, I do kind of link them well, together. You have to think of it this way, though, Greg. The Judeo part is because the Jews are God's chosen people, and the morality and the, the culture of a good society was instilled in that nation over the period of thousands of years. And... Then it was also the Jews who killed Christ. He was a Jew and they killed him. And what that means is that while the society has values that are better and friendlier than any other, any other nation because they are God's people, they're still unregenerate. They're still, they're, they're, they're still killed Christ because like any of us, that that human nature is still dreadfully evil. So I I have trouble even with that concept because while it is certainly factual that some Jews did that, right? The the, the system the Jews were using at the time did that. The right every human heart every human heart when 
one of the scriptures that that people use a lot for this is the heart is dreadfully wicked who can know it and and there's a little more to it than that and it's only god can know the heart because it is so wicked the human heart every one of us requires that regeneration of christ to not be evil beings humans are basically evil every single one of us and we require christ in us in order to to not be so yeah i mean yes it was the leadership that did it i don't think that the 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 well, and think about it like this. At the time, there was no such thing as a Christian. It just didn't exist at the time. So every one of his apostles was a Jew. Well, not everyone, but he, right, he had Jewish followers and he had Jewish enemies. It's not as if... Actually, Jews every one of his apostles side. was a Jew. Right. So it's not as if... It's not as if the Jews... Yeah, but, but they all ran away. <laughs> they all ran away, man. The, even they were unregenerate. The work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us is a dramatic and impossible thing without without God's hand on us we are pretty dreadful creatures what true that is certainly um uh shows through in the facts the um the important um gosh what's the the thing that is most important from the judeo um uh you know idea is to not forget never forget never forget the idea that you can't move forward without knowing the past um the idea that uh bifocal vision doesn't make sense right without two points to go off of and this point is never two points this moment is never two points okay and so and so uh when God gave the law to Moses. It feels to me like that was um, important, not just for the the codification or the the realization of the fact of the law, um, but the recording, the the importance of the recording, and then keeping recordings from then on became a part of our society. Sure, it did, and and I. I... I understand where you're going with that, with the whole bifocal vision thing, but by the same token, it it doesn't really change the facts on the ground today, which are that, yeah, Ben Shapiro is a Jew, and yeah, the Jewish nation and their and the what would you call it, the society instituted by God that that follows the rules of Jewish society, is still the closest thing we have in a lot of ways to a society that would, that, that is godly, but it doesn't mean that the individuals like Ben are, are, are touched by the Holy spirit and that's required. Well, what the Holy spirit allows is for you to be in, uh, entangled in powers and principalities without being, um, sullied by them. It, because if it's you look more at, than that. If you look, if you look at the vast yes. majority of yes, the Jewish groups... Yes, but there's groups, more than that. Go ahead. If you look at the vast majority of Jewish groups uh, that I've seen, they are um, 
peaceniks, I believe is the common word. They're, they are not for large organization. They're not for any sort of military. They're not for, right? The, the, you look at the Jewish communities and they are very religious communities. Right? Sure. It's, until, until you Absolutely. get to a government level, until well, you and, get to a control level, that it starts to wear on people's souls. Well, and, and there's there's something to that for sure. Like I say, the the social systems that God put in place for that nation are the best thing we've got for running human societies in a lot of ways because they're, well, they, they were things that God told them to do. That means they're going to be good things. So yeah, you're right. That's That's true. I think that uh, a disconnect for those personalities that like to be in control is that whenever God presents the Ten Commandments or any of the, the, the laws as they are, he's expressing what is. This is what is. You don't have to enforce it. You don't have to. It's important to let people know so that they understand the rules of the universe. But if you, if you try to enforce God's rules, that, that's not called for. Nobody, That's nobody... not true. Not entirely true. Okay. Not entirely. Well, there is a place for governing authorities. And it's it's even spoken to in the New Testament. It says, Paul says, obey the governing authorities because they were instituted by God. They carry his authority and they do not bear the sword in vain. Paul says that in the New Testament. So, yes, there is a place to enforce the moral law. And you're right that when you and I talk about it, it should just generally, it should just be a matter of informing people because God did also institute natural consequences for these things. But human government is also intended to enforce those moral laws. That's part of why it exists and part of why God gives it authority. It's the governing authorities, not the hierarchy. There's a difference. And if you look at what God instituted for governing authorities in the Jewish nation before um, before they asked for a king, you see the best way for it to be handled. So was the was the culture of the time, was the word spoken um, denoting a, a capital punishment? like uh, the government against his own people whenever it said drawing the sword or were swords generally for um, uh, group protection against other groups? Well, usually it wasn't a sword. It was stoning when it was their own people, but there were rules. So if, so if there's scripture defining a sword, is that not uh, group defense against other groups? It, no. Right. That seems to me like what it's defining is no. um, the use of armies against other armies, not no, the use of your army against your people. That's not correct. It's not. No. The governing authorities bearing the sword just means that they carry they carry the power to enforce capital punishment and defense, I would say, would be part of that, but both are included. Yes. Now, you know, stoning was the was the practice for how the people would enforce the capital punishment on the ground, but the sword was still a symbol for the use of the power of violence, violence against people. Interesting. So, no, that's always been a part of it. 
Interesting. I'll have to think on that one uh, over some time. I, I feel like there's some conflict there with the uh, the story of the uh, adulteress. You know, let the first uh, the one without sin throw the first stone. Well, and and in that, you're right. There is some conflict there, and and actually looking at that might be worth doing a whole episode on, or even just continuing this episode to talk about it a little bit because. The tension there is is incredibly important, and Jesus knew it when he did it. Sure. Because he had instituted those laws that they were trying to enforce against this woman. And then he comes in, so he's he is God. He was responsible for instituting those laws, and then he comes in and says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so what we need to take from that is a couple of important things. First off, you're right, there's a huge amount of tension there. And there is a place for both outcomes. There is a place for both things to happen. And he did not speak against the um, the punishment of the criminals next to him on the hill. Right? And they, no, they, and and he also said that neither, no jot nor tittle of the law would pass away. That he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So, I guess I guess where I where I wind up on that goes something like this: that mercy and forgiveness are things that. that have to be sought in order to be appropriate. So in her case, I don't know whether she wanted forgiveness or asked for forgiveness or what, but I know that when, when we say Lord, Lord to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, he just provides it. He just gives it to us. But for people who don't ask for forgiveness, is there going to be forgiveness? You know, I, I tend to think that there won't be, at least not not the same way as those who do ask, because it's something that has to be sought. And so when you're talking about a legal context, I'm not a judge, but I, I tell you what, that's a tough one for me to parse in some ways. I, I assume that Christ knew more of that situation than we do, and that he... he saw things that we didn't know because really in every case it's like like i was talking about in israel's history before they asked for a king what they had were judges and these were these were people who were not in a position of power over the whole nation it, they weren't the whole nation weren't these judges slaves instead the judges were like servant leaders who went around and solved the problems that needed to be solved and provided the leadership that needed to be provided and really as christians that's the way we ought to be looking at our society our groupings our people is we ought to individually go around and and deal with the things that ought to be dealt with by us at the leading of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're to do, the, to be the judges. It's, it's talked about over and over in the New Testament. It's to be a servant leader who solves the problems that needs solving, not someone who lords it over the people. 
And I think that, that individually, when you're talking about individual human beings, I have never run into a case where applying a strict set of laws to somebody without a without a merciful and caring judge there to to actually temper those laws or to make them stronger when necessary you know there are people who are unrepentant i've seen videos of of kids who killed cops laughing at the cops family in court in the recent past and in those cases what they need is not mercy they need something that's very harsh they need something to pull them up short and smash their faces into the evil that they've committed. So you need you need an actual judge in these cases to make things. And that's what Jesus did in that woman's case. I can certainly see that. I do notice also watching court cases because there's so many posted online these days. Um, I find often that how one member of a, a spousal group will uh, not be able to keep quiet in their uh, uh, spousal uh, disagreement uh, cases, right? And th that person that is incapable of silence is incapable of repentance. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I don't want to pick that. on boys or girls. And, I don't want to pick on boys or girls for who's doing it that I see. But those that cannot remain silent are often the ones that can't find repentance. You know, there's another episode we could do. We ought to note it down. The, the roles of men and women. That's, that's one that, that our society likes to just get bloody wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, and it's like the third rail, right? You touch that and you're making everybody mad, which is fine to me. Everyone's but. Yeah, everyone's got a nuanced opinion about it that they feel like is the, the appropriate spot and anywhere off that track is inappropriate. Well, and at the same time, a lot of people are actually looking for truth and guidance and, and good good morals in this case. Because, you know, you look at, you've talked about the MGTOW movement. Mm -hmm. What these people actually need is a real healthy example of the way men and women should interact. And if they could internal if they could get that and internalize it it would give them both well it would help them to be what they need to be and our society has just lost what it needs so actually talking about it you know if there if there are people who really need to hear it or have it reinforced that might actually be a good thing to do i could certainly uh talk at length about the MGTOW uh movement and group um the idea of it being one thing is not true just oh, like of course of course one thing there's and if the, you're a young person well let me finish if you're a young person and you feel like you're a part of that group i would say um live your life right make sure that you are um looking at it before you condemn it right don't just condemn all females before ever giving anything a chance but also don't give up on your morals and your um your final goal if your final goal is a particular type of partner or whatnot don't give up Greg. on that and if you're at a higher level i'm not done talking if you're at a higher level and you're on the political level where you're fighting against feminists who are ripping babies out of women's stomachs 
do anything you have to say anything you have to do whatever you have to to save those babies you're doing good you're you're fixing marital law you're giving men a voice that didn't have one keep going keep going keep going if you are at the top on a political level keep going if you're a kid and you don't trust women keep looking well and and what i would say is that we need to talk about appropriate ways for men and women to act and that that would probably um that would probably deal with what you just said because i don't i wasn't saying anything against the MGTOW movement there i was just basically just um using them as an example of people who need that that proper grounding in in men and women men and women's relationships because the fact that they're in that movement shows that they don't have it. Or that they are in a place where none of the women around them uh, present <sighs> okay. No, you... and here's, here's why I say that. I have known people from all over this country who are Christian people who are in some way, shape, or form, single or dealing with the same forces that you're talking about. And because of the people that they choose to surround themselves with, they don't have, they don't have that same issue. Now, this isn't all Christians. This is a particular subset. But the point is that once you have the proper understanding of how men and women relate to each other, it kind of makes you immune to the crap going on in society. That is true. Well, <laughs> that is true. In my case, okay, I, I, you could claim I got lucky, but I was raised by a dad who had a really solid idea of what men are and how men should act. And he gave that to me in a way that was pretty great. And so when it came to women, when I was young, I kind of just did not mesh with the ones who were bad news. I could see it. I could see the, I could see the problem coming from 10 miles away. And so I was, I was really leery. You know, I was friendly. I was nice. But... I didn't get close to the people who were problems. And if one, once you internalize that, once you get it, that should be true for other people too, for other guys too, that they should be able to see that stuff and just, you know, keep those healthy boundaries up to the point where the crazy people aren't an issue for them so much. And the fact that our culture has made so many, so many women totally crazy is a really serious problem, but it's not everybody. And a lot of it times, certainly, oh, go ahead. It's certainly not everybody. Um, it's even not true for the same person in every circumstance, true. Um, right? You might be the right partner for the right person. If you cannot get to the place where you can have you and your spouse remove yourself from the world and all of your problems are to be dealt with within your family unit and not taken outside of, if you Between can't get you there. you and God. 
right? Then you don't have uh, a place to move forward. And well, it and, is and very there is difficult. there is a place for what would you call it? Some kind of counseling, but what we have today that's called counseling isn't counseling. There's there's a place for wise counsel for when you're having a problem, like, you know, I say I grew up with a dad that way. My parents had tons of problems. And if they'd had wise counsel in certain areas, it would have sure helped them. There is a place for that. But that's hard. And it's hard. And every circumstance is completely uh, unique. Uh, my parents, I always uh, uh, give the factual statement, but it is a joke that they've been married to each other 10 times and no one else. Well, so and, and, they, and this is the thing about marriage. Marriage is the hardest thing we do. It really, well, really they, is. So, What's interesting about my parents in that situation is that they are truly married. They can't escape each other. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what the piece of paper says. They're married. So married is not <clears throat> some document. Married is we are um, one body. We can't escape each other. We are each other's neurosis. We, we are each other's codependency. We are each other's happiness and failure and success. We are one thing. Well, and, and so that's, that's certainly true of me and Mary, you know, and, and I get it. Well, and for good and for good or bad, you know, uh, yeah. I can't blame uh, my parents for the separations that they had. My, they, they lived through the seventies the and eighties and the, the extreme drug times and, you yeah. know, people get, people get into, um, situations where the best thing that you can do for them is to give them space or whatever it may be. Well, um, or to push them out of your life so that you're not enabling their crap because that's important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. But never forgetting that, that, you know, your happiness is derived there, you know? Yeah. And again, you can't, you can't really forget it. It just is, it, it irks at you until you get back to your happiness. Yeah. Anything you more don't. you want to say here? We're getting close no, to time to wrap up. No, I think this is a good spot to end this particular one. I, I think we should come back to the uh, the MGTOW topic as a complete podcast. I think I'd, I'd like to speak some more on that. But for this particular sure. topic about, uh, oh, um, blue team versus red team, not meaning they're on a different team. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a, a good place to stop. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Glad to yeah, be you. here, and we'll catch you next time. Catch you next time. Yeah.